Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. Twice a month, we'll meet an amazing executive who'll share a story about her career and give us some great insight into her success. So if you are pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe. Survival is essential. Success is great. But what does it mean to thrive? We've compiled the most popular and compelling advice from our guests and created a Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills such as clarifying your vision and growing your influence. You can grab it at christinedelano.com. To find out more about our show and our guests, I invite you to follow me on Instagram. All these links will be in the show notes. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. In this episode, we are talking to Kara Murphy about career impact. How do we assure when we look back on our careers that swallowed so much of our time, our energy, and our life that we had a positive impact? How can we be a force for good that inspires others in an industry of tough choices? From the devastation of 9-11, Kara is going to share with us how she found career impact. As Chief Investment Officer of Kestra Investment Management, Kara Murphy provides investment expertise and support for financial professionals. Kara is a keynote speaker at industry conferences and contributor to many television and radio programs, including CNBC, Bloomberg, and Yahoo Finance. She is also regularly quoted in many financial publications. Prior to joining Kestra, Kara served as Chief Investment Officer at Goldman Sachs Personal Financial Management, and she was also CIO at AIG Funds, where during her tenure, assets more than doubled. Kara serves on the board of directors for Welcome Home, a nonprofit which she founded to provide support for newly resettled refugees. Kara earned a bachelor's degree from Georgetown University's School of Foreign Service and a master's degree from the University of Chicago. Kara is a voracious reader and passionate supporter of financial literacy and diversity within the financial services industry. Most importantly, she is a proud wife and mom of three children who keep her busy, delighted, and humbled, often all on the same day, which I understand. <laughs> I am pleased to welcome Kara Murphy to the We Talk Careers podcast. Welcome, Kara. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I am thrilled you are. So Kara and I recently met through Stephen Langloy, a man That's I think right. we both admire, right? Absolutely. When he told me how much I would enjoy getting to know you, Kara, I didn't hesitate <laughs> a moment. <laughs> and I'm really glad I didn't because I have loved every one of our conversations. Where are we catching you right now? I think you might be in the middle of a move. Am I right? <laughs> I, I am heavy in transition. So I am in Dallas right now and there are moving trucks at my house as we speak. And I'm, I'm moving my family down to Austin. So we're excited and a little crazed at the same time. <laughs> I can imagine. Wow, that is that is a big move. Although obviously we hear so many great things about Austin. So congratulations on that. Yes, well, thank you. We're, we are excited. Good. So today we're talking about career impact. Take us back, Kara. When did you discover the ultimate importance of having impact? 
Well, <laughs> I, I have sort of an unusual um, start to my career in Wall Street. Um, and, and very early in my career, I had been maybe a year into my first job as an analyst at Morgan Stanley. And on 9-11, I happened to be in the World Trade Center. I was on the 72nd floor of Tower 2. And, you know, the, the plane hit right above where I was. And I was about as high up as you could be in the building and still survive. And I survived by sheer luck, not because of, you know, any great thinking on my part, but that experience like really sort of influenced me. And, you know, just like the rest of New York and, and much of the world, it was, it was kind of in heavy mourning for months afterwards. And I had recently lost my father. I lost my cousin in the World Trade Center. Um, so, you know, just sort of going through a lot and dealing with that traumatic experience. And you know, I'm a big believer in trying to sort of read the signs that the universe is offering you. And, and I just kept thinking, like, like, what is the universe trying to tell me? What, what am I supposed to do? And there were a lot of people I knew who were like dropping out of the corporate life or, you know, just making big changes in their lives in response. And I just kept thinking, I don't know what mine is. And I was talking with my mother on the topic at some point, and she was probably sick of hearing me lament about this. And, um, and she was like, maybe you're doing what you're supposed to be. And I was like, you mean working on Wall Street? And, you know, I had never really seen myself on Wall Street. I had kind of ended up there by accident. And so it was hard for me to imagine myself there. But I tried it on for a while. Um, and I realized that I was actually pretty good at what I did. And then even more surprisingly, I really liked what I did. And so it was sort of like through that process that then I was able to embrace my career and say, you know what, this is exactly what I want to do. Um, and, and so it was, you know, th this sort of process of having like a very traumatic experience that provides clarity over time really sharpened my focus um, and allowed me to really dig in then and, and pursue a career in, 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 this, in this field. And I'm so glad that I did. I'm so glad you did as well. So it will be just 21 years ago when this episode airs that 9-11 happened. And so just to pause for a moment on this, because I know a lot of our listeners are pretty young and actually, mm -hmm. you know, they weren't in their careers, you know, maybe some of them weren't even alive or some of them were, you know, pretty young to, to experience it. So you said you were in Tower 2. So did you get out when Tower 1 was hit or did you wait? No. And, and, and that's why, you know, when I say I didn't survive because I made good decisions. <laughs> um, so that that morning, I the first thing I remember is um, looking out the window. I was on the phone and there were just papers flying down past the window. So I knew something was very wrong. Um, and then I saw fireballs go by the window and, um, and I, and I was like, okay, something's very not right, you know, cause you're really high up and 72 floors. So I started, um, jogging around the floor cause it was also a very big floor and, and you could be, you know, in sort of the interior of the floor and have no idea what's going on outside. So I started zigzagging and running around the floor saying there's been an explosion. Everyone has to leave. And so I, I kind of spent a few minutes running around. I went back to grab my purse and then made my way to the staircase and the fire warden was there and he, he kind of grabbed me by the arm and he was like, what are you doing? He's like, we're not supposed to leave. We're supposed to wait for the port authority to come on the speaker and tell us what to do. He's like, until then we wait. 
I was like, dude, did you see the fireballs going by the window? And he's like, we're supposed to wait. And I was still going to leave. And then over the loudspeakers came an announcement saying, this is the Port Authority. Please stay at your desks. This building is secure. And I was like, oh, man. (laughs) Isn't that so hard with what what your insides are telling you versus what others are telling you? I mean, and you're young. So like you're going to take what authority tells you, right? You know, like obviously they've got some special knowledge that you don't, which they didn't obviously, but wow, what, what a place to be in. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I I don't, I don't blame the Port Authority. Like they had reasons for, for doing what they did and they were just trying to keep people safe. But, you know, in retrospect, go. (laughs) Yes. When when there's danger there, just, just leave. Um, So, so I was one of the few left, there were only a handful of us left on the floor. Everybody else luckily left. And when the plane hit, then, you know, it was, it was just a couple of floors above us and it was just complete pandemonium. I mean, fires broke out, things fell off the floor floor and came crashing down. Um, and it was a good, like 45 minutes of walking down the stairs to be able to, to get there. And then of course the, the building collapsed when I was right outside. So, you know, it was, it was sort of this ongoing multi-hour experience of trying mm. to get to safety. Um, but I did. But I did. That that's that's the positive ending. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I love how you talk about what it did to really provide introspection into what is your career impact? Like what is your desire? Where is your passion? Do you stay? Mm-hmm. Do you go? And I think your mom was pretty wise. This idea of like if you're not getting another sense of a calling other than the one you're in, perhaps you're in the right one. Um, mm-hmm. so I, 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 love her advice. Um, I think that's a, you know, I think sometimes people compare themselves to so many people around them and think, okay, they're doing that. I should be doing that. Or there's that I should be doing that. And instead it's like, actually, do you really feel called or are you, you know, putting on a calling that, that isn't mm-hmm. yours? So that, that's beautiful. Yeah. And, and I think also, and, and this is why I, I love to share my story with, um, younger women who are interested in the business because, I had this image of what Wall Street was in finance, and it was like very male dominated, very kind of, you know, stab each other in the back. And and I was like, that's not me. And so I think I was in many ways self-selecting out of this type of career because of the image that I had about it. And the more time I spent in it, I was like, no, it's like, it's really about like this intellectual puzzle and it's so exciting and dynamic. And there's a lot about relationships and there's so much that, that I I slowly discovered to kind of challenge my own stereotype about what Wall Street was. And, And again, if I hadn't been sort of forced to do that, I would have very easily just passed over that type of career. Absolutely. And I think that's actually a big part of why I'm writing the novel that I am, because I feel passionate about sort of the real Wall Street, the real mm-hmm. sort of careers of high finance. And if you, you know, read a lot of the books or you watch the movies, it's all just like greed and gross yes. and so hard. And I think, no, there's all these people doing amazing things. And you know, working out their passions and it is dynamic and it is a major puzzle and it's really inspiring and it's Mm -hmm. hard and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of balance you have to find and there's a lot of, you know, tension with your family and, you know, there's, it is not just one side. And so 
that's why I love writing about it because I think it is so multifaceted and there's so many great things to learn about ourselves by reflecting on this industry we're in. So um, I, I love agree. that you're doing that because, you know, you mentioned earlier, I'm a voracious reader. I, I love novels. And anytime I read about somebody in business or finance, there's this flat character right. and almost like a caricature. And, and I agree. There are wonderful stories in what we do. They're just not portrayed. So I'm so glad that you're doing that. Thank you. Thank you for that encouragement. It's I've gotten nothing but encouragement from from folks who know I'm doing this. So and it is really just a, a huge pleasure. And that's why I love doing this podcast, because mm-hmm. I actually get a lot of ideas for where I things bet. could go. Yes. So career impact. How do you define that, Kara? So <laughs> it's so like it's so broad. And so everybody's going to define it in a different way. But for me, it's really been about marrying my heart, my brain, my brawn, right? Like you have to, to be really successful, you have to kind of get all of those things working in sync. And I'll say that it's taken me a long time to be able to get there, right? You kind of like piece these little things together. You read the signs of the universe and whatnot. But when you get all of those things working together, right? If you have your heart in the right place and, and you know what motivates you, it makes you feel good and gets you excited, when you have your brain in the right place and your working skills that you know come naturally to you that you want to do more of then the hard work becomes easy right and then the hard work is really fostering all of these things that make you a fuller richer better person but it's definitely it's a process like you don't get there overnight i agree and as a cio for your organization you have this unique position to actually drive impact and purpose for your organization, right? So have you done things to harness the power of your position to help people find career impact? Yeah. And I do think I, I read this book, um, Good to Great, which is one of my favorite oh, business books. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's yes. a good one, right? So good. Um, and I, I read that periodically. And, and there's one chapter in particular on values, which kind of rocked my world when I first read it. And it talks about how companies who kind of know who they are, who define what their values are, tend to be more successful than companies that don't. And they say it almost doesn't matter what the values are. It's just that everybody buys into it and believes it. And I found that really fascinating. And so with multiple teams that I ran, I've done this exercise of sitting down and saying, okay, like what's really important to us? And the first time I did it, I remember um, telling my team we were doing this offsite. I had this whole agenda for the day. And I was like, we're going to do this values discussion. And I look around the table and I was like, I see your eye rolls. I know you don't believe this is worth the time, but we're going to do it and you're going to have fun. And sure enough, it became this like multi-hour discussion that was really, really interesting. Um, and so, and in my current team, the, and every team will have a different set of values, which is okay. Um, and in my current team, you know, we landed on collaboration, curiosity, discipline, humility. And these are things that we thought were really important as investors and what make really good investors. But they're also really good things in terms of melding a team and building a business. And it's been helpful to have those kind of guideposts because we're a new team, we're a startup business. Everything is new. And so you want to have this kind of grounding to be able to build off of 
And, um, you know, I was recently interviewing somebody and I found myself mentally kind of ticking off those values that we had identified. And I was like, oh yeah, this guy's definitely curious and oh yeah, you know, humble, you know, so, so I was like, oh, I, I can see how this person can really fit within the team. And so I think they become really valuable, but then you also have to keep them alive. You know, it's not enough to kind of put a sign on the door and say, you know, we believe these things and then just ignore them the rest of the time. Um, so you have to be able to identify in the things that you do in the products and services that you provide and how you provide them that you're living up to those values. So it becomes this kind of living, breathing thing. I think that's fantastic. And I love that you take the time to do it. What you said before, which I think is so, so key to this is it doesn't almost even matter what that precise list is, but mm -hmm. you've got to hold to it. Vision is sort of like that too. You know, like mm -hmm. lots of companies can be successful. Visions are so different, but it's the idea you have one and you get everybody sort of on board to, you mm -hmm. know, to go in the same direction. And then the other thing you said, which I, I just kind of want to circle back to, to help people understand how career impact kind of relates back to these value system is that emotional intelligence becomes really important here, right? Because as oh, yeah. you are hiring people, as you are putting people into teams, you've got to be able to see, like you said, with who you were hiring, oh, yes, he's curious. Oh, you know, and I can see that he's humble. But if you mm -hmm. don't have sort of the EQ to be able to do that, that becomes very difficult to pull together a culture that represents your values. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how do you find a way for everyone to sort of live up to these values? You said it, you know, you don't just place it on the wall and do it. What are some of the things that through people's careers, they assure that they're sort of adhering to what it is they came up with? So, I mean, we, we talk about it a lot. Um, so that's one thing just to keep it front of mind and conversation. We've also tried to weave it into our messaging in terms of like when we're going to market, we work with financial advisors around the country. We share that with them and say, these are the sorts of things that we're really, that, that are important to us. So there's something about like saying it out into the universe um, to making it real and holding yourself accountable for it. Um, and, and we even talk about it like as we're, you know, we, we craft portfolios for financial advisor clients and we think about, okay, are we really doing this together? Do we have a process where we can be collaborative? We can identify different team members' voices. Are we really staying disciplined? And so we'll, we'll sort of like use those as ways to question. And, and sometimes, you know, I might throw something out and they're like, mm, is that really part of our discipline? <laughs> and I was like, nope. Nope, take that off the table. Um, so I think having those terms very present and encouraging the team to kind of like call each other out and say, okay, are we staying true to these is just very helpful. Which is so important when there's so many great ideas, right? If you've got a mm -hmm. team that is, it sounds like you have a very high functioning team with people who like to work together and, you know, do a good job of it, which means sometimes you've got a plethora of ways in which you can go. So by being able to set up boundaries to say, does this actually move us in the direction of which we've already set based on our values. That's, that's a great mm -hmm. way to, to weed out some areas that can kind of take you astray. Yeah. And I think particularly in a startup environment, 
right? There are so many things that you could be doing and that you should be doing, but you just, you can't. Um, And so you have to be very, very focused and ensure that you're spending your time on those things that are most important. And I agree, like having those values help you narrow your perspective in a really good way. So I love how practical this is for our listeners. That always just feeds me as well as it's it's great because that's how we hear back from folks like, oh, I use that and it was so great. And, you know, I, I started to follow this advice and now I, I found this book and I need you to know about it, which I, I just love those comments that we mm-hmm. get from our listeners. But how else can folks be practical? Can you give us some step-by-step advice for assuring individuals have career impact? Mm. Well, I mean, the most important thing is just read, like plain old read. There are studies that show that there are a lot of skills that are actually very difficult to acquire. Like if you're not naturally good at something, it's really difficult to kind of train yourself to be really good in that. But the one thing that's very consistent in successful CEOs is uh, they all read. They all read a lot. And not necessarily nonfiction. You know, you and I were talking earlier about how we both love fiction. You know, fiction also really, you learn so much about like empathy and other perspectives and vocabulary. So so even just that process and something that I find just pure joy, um, you can really learn a lot with. But I will admit that I try to always have a fiction and a nonfiction book that I'm reading. And the nonfiction you know, like I try to have it be something that just interests me. It's not necessarily something that I have to learn. I still need to be curious about it and it needs to be well-written, but I learn a lot through that. um, And then I bore everybody around me with stories that I've learned. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. And, you know, I think you're preaching to the choir on the reading, obviously, a uh, big part of what I do and and how I find joy and how I find inspiration in, in so mm-hmm. many of the things that, that I'm passionate about. So what other kind of step-by-step advice do you have for folks on career impact? So um, yeah, I, I got to, as we were preparing for the show, I got to thinking back through my career and some of those like real turning points. And, and this idea, you know, I talked earlier about like having heart, brain and brawn. And I remember I was maybe like eight, 10 years into my career. And I went to this panel of a bunch of women and there was somebody up there who was talking about kind of the course of her career. And she was like, I just woke up one day and I was like, I love what I do. And I was thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so wonderful. Like, how do I get there? (laughs) And so that, that first part of like heart and being, and like understanding what really motivates you kind of takes a while. And and I was trying to think about like, when was it during my career that that I had that moment? And I think it was um, when I was like four months pregnant with my third child and don't get me wrong, like up till now, like I really, really enjoyed what I did, but I, I, I didn't feel like I'd found that kernel. And so I was four months pregnant with my third child and my boss sat me down and he says, do you want my job? And, and I was like, no, I was like, I love working with you. Don't go anywhere. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, do you want my job? And I didn't, I didn't skip a beat. I said, Yes. I knew, I knew I wanted to do what he did. I wanted to run a business. I wanted to think about strategy. I wanted to run a team. And I had done enough like soul searching and whatnot at that point that it was so easy in that moment for me to say like, yes, this is what I want. (laughs) So we had a great conversation. We're about to finish lunch. And I was like, oh yeah, and I'm pregnant. (laughs) 
<laughs> and he was like, oh, okay, okay, we'll figure this out. And we did. And he was wonderful. And, and he's been a great you know, partner and supporter and friend. Um, so, so the first one is like, 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 look for those moments, right? Where you see this like role or thing and your heart just sings and you're like, yes, that's what I want to do. And the second part is, is the brain. And that's a little bit more just like doing stuff. And so around that time, my first role as a chief investment officer, the business was going through this major strategic change. I had to lead the team and the business through it. It was a lot. But it also meant that I had the opportunity to kind of construct the role in a way that played to my strengths and that I could do more of what I wanted to do. But I felt like I needed help in doing that. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'd always really felt like a fish out of water in Wall Street. I always felt like I had kind of ended there by accident, that I didn't really belong. I know you had another great podcast on imposter syndrome. I was like, yes, like that was me. So I actually took the time to do a day or two, it might have been two full days of a skills assessment where you go through all these detailed tests and stuff, like from identifying colors to picking up with your fingers to writing. Um, And they come out with like an inventory of what you're really good at. And I, I wanted that kind of grounding, right? To say like, okay, what am I good at? And I sat down at the end of it and the woman was going through my results and, and she looks at them and she's like, well, you should have been an engineer, but really close second is finance. And I was like, really? Like, I am where I should be. I'm like doing what my skills say I should be. She's like, yeah, but you should also be doing like writing. And I was like, okay, okay, sign me up. So, so that, that was so helpful to know that, okay, I'm spending a lot of my time in things that I'm naturally good at. So, so I got to a place where my heart was in it. I really enjoyed what I was doing. My brain was in it. And then from there, it's just working your tail off. And every woman that you have spoken to on this podcast works her tail off, right? But if you're not working your tail off in things that you really enjoy and are good at, you're going to be like a shriveled up hole at the end of the day, right? So you have to get joy out of what you're spending all that time working at. Absolutely. I think a common thread across all of this, there's been such great advice across these podcasts. I mean, it's just so rich. We have a thrive guide that we offer free for all of our listeners that just kind of summarizes some of this just great advice from our guests. But through all of it is prepare aggressively and work hard. Mm -hmm. There's no substitute for showing up working hard and being confident at what you do. You know, you can learn all these other ways. You can be, uh, you know, emotionally intelligent and you can be well-read and you can know the facts, but if you're not going to show up and you're not going to work hard, (laughs) none of this is going to work for you in this industry. Um, So absolutely agree with that. I also just want to call out that we do actually have a episode Holly Framstead talks about strengths-based careers and taking those strength-based inventories and really understanding who you are and what you're good at and not always focusing on the weaknesses, right? You know, like, oh, I could get better. I could get better. Instead, just be confident of what you're good at and then find people that are good at the other things that you're not good at and partner up with them. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I I love that reminder. And it just and I'm hoping that listeners hear this too. The more we talk about it, it just kind of drills it in in sort of an impactful way as we talk mm-hmm. about careers in ways to be successful. 
So can you also share a time when maybe you went about your career with zeal and, you know, preparedness and all of that, but didn't get what you want? Yeah, I'd love to say no. That's never happened to me. <laughs> but we all know life doesn't go in a straight line. That's right. Um, and yeah, for sure. I, you know, there was there's one time that comes to mind when I was working for a CEO and I knew he was coming close to retirement. And I really enjoyed working with him, but I could like, I had this vision for where the business could go. And this is another instance where like, I had never seen myself as a CEO. It wasn't like on my list of to do's or anything like that, but I could see how I could transform this business. And I agonized over this conversation with him. And, and I, you know, I reached out to like friends and colleagues and, and folks that I trusted. And I was like, how do I have this conversation? But like, I've got to talk to him because I'm going to be so upset if he retires and management looks to replace him and I'm not even on the radar. So I did, I sat down and I had a conversation with him and I, I kind of walked through how I was thinking about the business and whatnot. And it was a nice conversation. I went back to my office and like, I never heard about it again. Mm. <laughs> it was this total whiff. And, um, and, and, you know, I was like, okay. I was, and I was, I was glad I'd had the conversation because I felt like I had to do it for myself, but I definitely no felt regrets, like right? Yeah, like you, you no, didn't no look regrets. back on it and say, I, I didn't but do it. it. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it was still, you know, a little rough. And, but then sure enough, a few months go by and I get a call about another role and like I was primed and I, I sort of, you know, went through that heart brain brawn checklist and, and like my heart sung when I read that job description and I knew I was ready. So, so, you know, I was really as humbling as that experience was, I was very glad that I had done it. And I think it did help me then be able to say yes to the next opportunity. That makes sense. I mean, you've had such a, an amazing career, you know, I, I've loved getting to know you and also, you know, being able to read your bio and your, and your background and things like that. And, and then the start to your career that you told us all about, I mean, it's a, it's a baptism that not everyone goes through to, mm -hmm. to really understand that they're they're in the right place and they can have impact. But is there anything you wish you knew toward the beginning of your career that you know now that maybe is good advice for this next generation of leaders? Yeah, I think I think what I'm going to share is is another like theme I've heard and a lot of the women that you've talked to on this podcast, and that is the power of having a network of other women that you can trust. And I think that's true, like anytime you're an other, right? There, there needs to be a safe place that you can go to where you can feel like you can genuinely be yourself. And I spent my whole career as pretty much the only woman in the room. And like the first 10 years of my career, I was like, cool, like I can, I can hang with the boys. And I felt really proud of myself for being able to be successful and sort of like keep up despite being the only woman in the room. But then like, I remember thinking 10 years had gone by and I'm looking around and I'm like, I just want to like chat with another woman. And, and I just, I had so few around me. And so at that point I started to like really cultivate a network of women more. And, and I met like these amazing women who I might've kind of known tangentially, but just really started to make more of an effort to reach out to them and have lunch or whatever it might be. 
and now I, I have, you know, I, I think a really solid group of women who I trust who are in the business and elsewhere who like just they can provide comfort when you need it. They have great advice and they'll just understand my experience in a very unique way. And I have lots of great male friends and colleagues and mentors and whatnot as well. It, it's just the interaction with them is a little bit different. So I would say like get find that safe space where you can be in. Absolutely. And I think in these careers that, you know, take so much from us as well as give us so much as well, Mm -hmm. having those trusted people. I know that I've had sort of like co-sponsoring relationships with others, you know, where we're sort of looking at each other's careers, we're giving each other advice on, you know, approach and, you know, Mm -hmm. different paths. And there's just nothing more enriching. Women in ETFs has been like that for me. I've been involved from the beginning on the board now, and it's just a you know, it's a beautiful thing to see people who, you know, stand next to you and link arms in times that it's just needed. Um, sure. And, you know, nothing, nothing against our male colleagues. It's just there is just a camaraderie that's special. And things have changed, too. I don't know if, if you found it, but things have changed in my career as to in the beginning, there was a lot of keeping my head down, a lot of getting the work done, a lot of not talking about the fact that I had a husband or kids or anything that would distract me from the work. And, and now I feel like there's a freedom a little bit with other women that, you know, we can talk about the fact that we do have lives outside the doors, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, mainly because we're all on zoom and we see it anyway. But um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I think that is, you know, that is a beautiful thing to build a network of support and a, and a network that can be truth to you too. You know, the times that things don't go the way you want, or, you know, you've made a mistake and you got to figure out how to fix it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's good to have people that know you already that you could trust their advice. Well, and it's funny you mentioned that too, this idea of like admitting you're a woman as if people Mm. didn't notice. (laughs) Right, right. And uh, because I I spent so much of my career in like dark pantsuits because not only was I on Wall Street, but for a long time I was like a financials analyst, which was particularly male dominated. And, And so I would, you know, show up just like the rest of the guys in my black suit, and again, like there was a there was a point in my career where I was like, oh, no, I'm a woman and I'm going to wear a pink dress. <laughs> <laughs> and I was talking with this other woman, the, a younger woman who I've gotten to know. And I was speaking at this event she was at and, and she came up to me afterwards and she's like, I saw you walk in that room with a bright pink dress. And then I heard you speak. And she's like, and I knew I loved you. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And she, like, you know, I think she had felt this too. Like, you know, it, it's a little bit hard to kind of like lean into your femininity when you're surrounded by men. And so she found that very empowering. So it was, it was great to hear. I agree. And I, I know that Sue Thompson did such a good job on talking about your brand and knowing what that is and being comfortable with it. You know, mm-hmm. you can do it in the pantsuit. You can do it in the pink dress. You can, you know, yeah. you can figure that out. And it's where you feel your most authentic and your most powerful amongst the people that you work with. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I wish that for everybody. And what's so nice is that, you know, we can sort of glean from each other, but in the end, it's, it's our own person that, that we put forward. So Mm -hmm. um, such good reminder for that. So I am astounded, but we have made it to almost the end of our podcast in time. I could keep talking to you for a long time, Kara. This has been so fun for me. So our last question is always the same. Um, I know we're both avid readers, but what are you actually reading right now? 
Yeah. Oh, so this is my favorite question. I always love to talk about <laughs> books. And uh, so both my parents were English teachers. So I very much grew up with, you know, literature and plays and poetry around the home. So so it is this like very sort of comforting place. But I, so I am currently reading The Sentence by Louise Erdich. And it's my first book by her. I was just telling a, a friend of mine last night that I'm reading it. And it's my first book by her. And she's like, oh, I can't believe you haven't read her other books. So, uh, but, but the main character is a Native American woman who spends a long time in prison and finds solace in prison and then life afterwards in books and literature. Um, so part of the book is very much a love letter to literature and kind of the, the redemptive qualities of it. But in the meantime, like there's a ghost story, there's an interesting marriage. Um, and then COVID, it's the first novel that I have read that is set during the onset of COVID. Um, so, so there's just so much that kind of comes into this story and it's weaved in this like wonderful, believable way. It's, it's great. I love it. I have not read it, but I have had a number of author friends that have, and they talk about like the characterization in it being so strong. So it's like mm-hmm. on my list in terms of like, you know, my master class of characterization. And, and I know she's just known for that. So mm-hmm. thank you for that recommendation. We will have the sentence in our show notes with a link for everyone to, uh, to give a read. And thank you, Kara. I mean, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you sharing of yourself and your story and being so candid with us and really just encouraging us to like, not take our career for granted, you know, not just Mm -hmm. have to work so hard at something that doesn't provide personal and corporate impact. So thank Mm -hmm. you for your time today. Well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>